So we have the capability to blend basically an infinite number of diets um, um, and provide those to the cells. So that's very exciting for me as a nutritionist. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. High D from DSM Furmanish can improve your pig's vitamin D status. High D offers pure, proven performance to help your pigs thrive. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Althena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada, Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Ontario, and Demeter Quebec. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Welcome to Swine It Canada. My name is John Patience, and I'll be the host for today's session. And with me today, I'm delighted to have a guest who is one of the rising stars in the swine nutrition world in Canada, Dr. Leanne. Welcome, Leanne. Oh, you're too kind, but thank you for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you here, and especially the topic that we're going to be talking about today, which is the new research facility uh, at the University of Guelph. But before we get into that, Leanne, and I'm sure that most of our audience will know you, know about you, and know you well. But maybe for those that don't, if you could give us just a brief uh, overview of your background and how you ended up being where you are today. Well, I'll try and give you the short version of that one, but I, I grew up on a mixed farm in southwestern Ontario, so we had some a farrow-to-finish hog farm and a beef uh, operation as well, and so maybe not a surprise, I was really into agriculture growing up and decided to pursue that as my post-secondary education, and uh, during my undergrad, I met Case DeLang, who really was instrumental in guiding my career and completed my grad studies with him and then uh, was lucky enough to get the position at the University of Guelph as a swine nutrition faculty member in the Department of Animal Biosciences. So I started that position in 20, well, the end of 2016 uh, and my research program has evolved over the last few years. So right now I'm really focusing on uh, reproductive sow nutrition, both in gestation and lactation, and the transition in between. Uh, and my 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 passion is amino acid metabolism, but I dabble in other things as well. The Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners Nutrition Group offer the full range of nutritional product base on extensive research and developments, and a solid team of experts all across Canada. Our objective is to provide cost-effective solutions, innovation, and support to producer from the entire Canadian swine industry. Very good, very good. And you mentioned uh, Case DeLonga, um, obviously one of the real thought leaders in swine nutrition for, for many years. 
And uh, the new Swine NRC committee that's working right now to develop the new uh, recommendations, uh, folks should just sit down and look at the makeup of that committee and see how many members of that committee can be traced back to uh, some degree of training or association with Case DeLong, and it's very substantial. So he, he definitely had his impact. For sure. Yeah. So Leanne, today we want to talk about your new facility uh, at, uh, at, at um, Alora. Mm -hmm. I got to make sure I don't confuse with Urkel and uh, where your old facility was, but now you're at Alora. And, um, and please, uh, let's talk about that facility. And what I'm interested in overall is to talk about what its capabilities are, kind of the nuts and bolts, how many sows, how many pigs, and so on. What capabilities in there? What facilities do you have there? Because I understand this is pretty dang impressive facility. And then we'll talk afterwards, we'll get into some of the, the research uh, aspects of it. But let's, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the nuts and bolts of that facility? Sure. And for $20 million, I suppose you would expect an impressive facility. <laughs> and yeah, and <laughs> the design team certainly delivered on that for us. Um, so just in general, the facility is 450 feet long from one end to the other. And so when you forget something and have to go back, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I always, yeah. I always, <laughs> I think back to my dad saying what you lack in your head, you make up for with your feet as I'm trudging yeah. back to the other end. <laughs> um, but in total, it's also 68,000 square feet. So it's quite a large facility. Um, and, it, and it was designed with flexibility in mind, um, but also to be representative of what industry has now and what we anticipate the industry will look like in the future so that the facility can continue to serve the industry for 20, 30, 40 years from now. Yeah. If we look at the timeline based on the previous facility that was built in the 70s yeah. to now. Um, yeah, so it's it's a really exciting place for us. Um, and I mentioned the flexibility, and I think we'll touch back on that a little bit as we go through. But one key difference from what would you see in a commercial farm is that there's a lot more space, space in the alleyways between yep. pens yep. and um, in between rows. And that's really just to facilitate the research activities that we do because Oftentimes we have large teams of people out there all catching pigs or taking blood samples, doing various things, and we need space to move around and to have our, you know, carts and trays and things to collect our samples yeah. into. But other than that, um, the pig part of the barn looks very similar to a commercial facility. So um, it's a farrow to finish operation. Um, we have roughly 350 sow capacity there, but it's a partial nursery and a partial finish. Uh, so in, breed in breeding, we have um, the capacity for 150 sows or so. Uh, the breeding facility has uh, pens along the outside wall and then two rows of stalls in the middle of the room. And those pens, they can house four to five sows per pen. And the housing is split about 50-50, 50% capacity in the stalls and 50% of the capacity is in the pens. The stalls, as you know, we're moving away from this in the industry. 
Um, but we wanted to have those stalls there um, to help us with breeding. And also sometimes we need the capacity to keep a sow in the same place for a certain period of time in research. So we were able to put some stalls in still, um, but um, they're a little unique in what you would see in a commercial facility because they're basically all uh, double walled. And so that the interior part of the stall can move. So we can narrow it to about 24 inches or increase the width to about 32 mm. inches. Um, and oh, so wow. that's, yes, yeah, so, yeah. So that's one to accommodate different sizes of animals, but two, because um, we anticipate that there might be some changes to the code of practice. So we wanna be able to stay flexible. In the breeding um, system or in the breeding room, there's only one uh, automatic feed drop with a single feed line, but that's the only place in the barn where the feeding system is that simple. <laughs> and we'll come back to that again later. Uh, and then once the sows stay in the breeding uh, room until 28 days of gestation or confirmed pregnancy via ultrasound, and then we move them over into confirmed gestation. So this is where things start to get interesting. Uh, so here in confirmed gestation, we have 24 pens, each capable of housing 12 sows. Uh, they're in static groupings, which uh, is helpful for us from a research standpoint. Um, and here we have the Gestol 3G feeding system with four feed lines there supplying each of the feeder heads. So we have the capability to blend basically an infinite number of diets um, um, and provide those to the sow. So that's very exciting for me as a nutritionist. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then um, we move our sows down to fairing about day 110. And we have uh, five fairing rooms of 14 crates each, so a total capacity of 70. Uh, and like I mentioned before, we batch breed, so we batch farrow. Um, the fairing crates also are a little different than you would see uh, in a commercial farm, mostly based on size. So these ones are eight by nine feet, uh, which is quite a bit bigger than uh, on a commercial facility. And again, that's just the built-in flexibility that the design team had the foresight to do. Uh, the fairing crates also are adjustable, so we can keep the sow locked in the middle part as you would normally see. Uh, but when the piglets are large enough to escape the sow when she's laying down, we can open those, those side crates up. And so the sow basically has a full pen that she can turn around in um, and, and change, change her position. These rooms have a high pressure misting system for cooling, which I do not have any experience with yet. And we only opened it in the fall, so we haven't had any weather to warrant trying the high pressure misting system. But I'm told it's a very effective way to cool the rooms um, and the water that's misted in doesn't reach the ground. So it'll cool the air without uh, making the sows and the piglets wet. What? So I don't know, reach back to me in August and I can give yeah. you an update <laughs> on how that's going. <laughs> right on. I'm also... Yeah. 
I'm curious about, uh, we have very um, high mineral content in the water. So I'm curious about calcium and lime buildup in that system, but I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see. And so in these five fairing rooms, we also have a Gestal Quattro feeding system. So there's a feeder head at each um, crate for each individual sow. It's operated by a trigger system. So the sow can nose the trigger to, um, to, to allow a feed drop. And here again, we have the four feed lines so we can do any combination of blending that we would like to do for whichever study that we're running. The other good uh, part about having the four feed lines is if you're not using all the sows in the barn on your nutrition study, one of those feed lines can be designated for the normal standard barn ration and it still leaves us three feed lines to do our blending for our experiment. So it saves some hand feeding of sows. So uh, uh, and just yeah. to pa pause there for just a second. Um, so breeding up to four weeks after uh, they're in stalls for four weeks after mating, and yeah. then they go into the group house scenario. Um, feeding in the breeding stalls is hand fed. Did I understand that correctly? Uh, no, it's a drop, a drop. It's feed a drop system. System, okay. yeah, but no blending, no fancy equipment in there besides just the drop. Uh, yeah. Oh, just a single drop. Okay, okay, and uh, and then small pen groups uh, that you have there, um, and then. Uh, into the farrowing at day 110, five-week cycle. So weaning at about four weeks of age, is that the intent? Or uh, no, we do a four-week cycle. So we wean around well, four-week cycle, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, very good, very good. For now. Okay, great, <laughs> yeah. for now, yep. yep. For now, right. yeah. And sometimes researchers like, oh, I don't know, Dr. Huber, ask very nicely if the barn staff can accommodate a five-week wean for certain experiments, yeah. and they really bend over backwards for me. So, right. yes, we've done some later um, weanings, too. Right. Without right. messing up their system too much, but they might have a different opinion on that, <laughs> too. Yeah, yeah, I, I can well imagine <laughs> Very good. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you there. Just wanted no. to make sure I was clear on, on that up to the end of farrowing. Sure. Yeah. Feel free to interrupt me anytime. Uh, okay. So then, yeah, we wean on day 21 or so um, and move those pigs into the nursery. At this point, some of the pigs are sold as early weans uh, because we don't have enough mm, nursery space mm -hmm. for everybody. Um, especially considering our new genetics now. So we're using PICs in this facility, and which is much different than the genetics that we had at our previous facility. So we have a lot more piglets to accommodate yeah. now in the nursery. Uh, so the nursery is neat. It's, um, it can accommodate about 720 to 900 piglets, depending on mm -hmm. the configurations that we've set up. And that's one of the key design um, components is that flexibility was baked into this um, part of the, the barn. Uh, so those nursery pens, we can have them as groups of 
five or 10 or 20 based on removing partitions or adding mm-hmm. partitions within pens, within rooms. Uh, and I like that a lot because it can you can very quickly increase the number of replicates you have per room within yep. one batch. Yep. Uh, and then in grow finish, we have the capacity for about 600 hogs. So that means at nursery exit, we also ship some pigs because we do not have the capacity to house everyone wow. from nursery to finish. Uh, and then grow finish is similar in that we can house in groups of five or 10 or 15, again, depending on which partitions we maintain or remove from the pens. And then in two rooms, one in the nursery and one in grow finish, we have the IVOG feeding system, uh, which allows us to monitor individual feed intakes for pigs within a pen. So we, and we only started farrowing a couple uh, months ago, so we don't have anyone in grow finish yet. Uh, but I think that'll be a very powerful tool for us, especially yeah. looking at feeding behaviors, um, variability, and things like that. So there's a lot of potential there. The feeding system in the nursery grow finish is a WIDA dry feed system. So it looks a lot like a liquid feeding system, except that it's for dry pelleted feed. Uh, But it's quite unique in that the system can call and blend any combination of diets and then send Mm. that blend to any pen in any room in the nursery and grow finish portion of the barn. So again, there we have a ton of capacity to do nutrition type studies, uh, but it's a feeding system that we've never worked with before. And there's always a little bit of a learning curve when especially you have that kind of flexibility and capacity within it. it takes a long time to learn all the little tricks and things that you can do with the system. Yeah, that's um, that kind of a system because it delivers a bolus of feed at a time. Is that right? That's, and that's and right. the individual pan. That's become pretty common here in Iowa, um, throughout the Midwest in research facilities. Um, and yeah, you're right. There's there's a learning curve and there's some things that have to be figured out. The barn staff will get used to it, but it uh, it's a wonderful system. It really is. Yeah. And the one thing that I'm struggling with that one is um, instead of having the sensors in the feeders that say, I'm full, you run the chain disc just ah. until the proxies say I'm full. The sensors yeah. in the feeders now, they just say I'm empty. And you must deliver to me 25 kilos of this diet. So it's a little bit of a different way Mm. of thinking about (laughs) feed delivery. And you have to make sure that you have those sensors set at the right level in the feeders and that you've programmed it to deliver the right amount of feed, not too much to overfill and things like that. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's a little it's different. But once we get it all figured out and working well, I think it'll be (laughs) immensely helpful for us in research. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, amazing data for sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that's kind of the, you know, norm, I don't know, commercial part of the facility. Uh, I guess we should say uh, there is 
the manure pits are underneath the barn. They're only four feet deep. So we do not have a lot of under barn manure storage, mm -hmm. uh, but we have several transfer stations that pump the manure out into a large um, outdoor manure storage tank. And, and it's, it's massive. So that's where we <laughs> put the manure instead of having it as under barn storage. Right. Um, and then we also compost on site too. So we have a omnivore composter um, because the biosecurity on this facility is very tight and even tighter than it was in our previous research facility. So it was very important to us not to have any trucks coming in and out for dead stock removal. And so, yeah, we put in the omnivore system and I think it's working fairly well from what I've heard so far. Uh, and it's just nice to have that um, capacity in-house. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's your commercial kind of capability. And then, uh, Leanne, if, if uh, you still have other facilities to support this facility. So, for example, you have a meats lab on campus so you can do carcass work and all that kind of thing if if your research calls for it is that and of course a diagnostic lab at the OVC and and so on. Yeah we're very fortunate at the University of Guelph that we can basically do the whole gamut of research from start yep. to finish. So yes as you mentioned we have the um, meat processing facility on campus. It's a CFIA inspected which is the only facility like that in Canada and so I can bring in hogs and we do um, and do full carcass and meat quality workups on those. And that's a really nice yep. piece, uh, especially when you're doing nutrition in the grow finish period. If you're getting good yep. growth rates, good for you. But if the carcass isn't very valuable, yep. then <laughs> what are you really doing? So uh, that's nice. And then also on campus, we have more intensive facilities uh, that we can do um, surgeries and things like that, where we're really doing, you know, like, metabolic frequent sampling type um, activities and we would do those on campus okay okay good actually the question came up the other day this is just um, out of the question out of the blue but do you have capability to do in indirect calorimetry at the university of guelph Yes, we do have the capability for indirect calorimetry uh, right now it's mostly for smaller animals like um, one of my colleagues, Dr. Kate Shoveler, she's doing a lot of work with cats and dogs. And so the chambers are nicely suited for animals of that size. Um, I've done a bit in the past with nursery grower uh, pigs, and I would say that's about as big as you can go. Right. Uh, that being said, I'm currently working on building some environmental rooms Um at Ponsonby, which is a research station just around the corner from the one we're talking about now. And those rooms will be able to house small groups of pigs or individuals, and um, they'll be fully environmentally controlled, and we'll be able to measure greenhouse gas emissions from the pigs and or the manure that's present in each room. Uh, each room will have a little pit yeah. underneath, so they'll all be yeah. um, individualized. Uh, but I'm also looking for the capacity to measure O2 consumption in those rooms as well. So we should be able to do some calorimetry stuff there. 
And then we can do much larger animals than what we're constrained with on campus. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, just an incredible array of capability there. But back (laughs) back to to Alora, sorry to get you off there a bit. Um, Are there... Are there other capabilities in that facility, um, sort of specialized research capability beyond the kind of growing pens and so on? Yep. So the the first and most obvious one is the wet lab, which is directly adjacent to the necropsy room. Um, And we have a hoist now, which is very exciting. So we don't have to lug carcasses um, by hand. Uh, And in our wet lab, we have some basic equipment. Uh, We have a minus 80 centrifuge, drying oven to do basic sample prep and storage. And so then the idea is we prep all of our samples there for long-term storage. We put them in the minus 80 or the minus 20 until the experiment is done. And then we can bring everything back to campus all at once for long-term storage in our lab. Uh, so my students are really enjoying having that yeah. capacity yeah. at the research station as well. So they're not running samples back and forth all the time. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the special part of the barn that deviates a little bit from the commercial side of things. Um, but in terms for my research programs, you want me to highlight some things that are yeah, uh, particularly exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I've kind of like mentioned it throughout, but one of the most, um, important things is the flexibility that the design committee incorporated into the plans for the barn. Um, so like I mentioned, doing those small and large groupings of animals, all the fleet feed blending capacity that we have, like it's the opportunities are really endless in the types of studies that you can design and execute in a facility like that. And it's efficient so that you can get more data from fewer animals, which means that your experiments are going to be perhaps more intense, but shorter and you can do more within a calendar year than what we could do at the previous barn. Right. Right. Yeah. And then the feeding systems themselves are amazing, as I've mentioned, because if you, the grad students were the original precision feeders, and I'm sure you've done it because (laughs) I certainly did it, right? You stand in the feed room for hours and hours and you weigh out individual little baggies of feed Mm -hmm. with different diets. And (laughs) that built a lot of character, I think, at least it did for me. Um, But now with the automated feed systems and those blending capabilities and the high level of precision that we have, it takes that manual labor out of the equation to some extent. It depends on the experiment that we're running, of course. But for the most part, we try to capitalize on those feed blending capabilities of the system and save the grad students (laughs) some time. (laughs) I'm sure you'll be able to build character in your students in other ways. Yeah, as they're walking back and forth in the 450 foot barn. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right on. And then um, the last one that I wanted to mention is that this facility also has an acclimation or isolation barn. So it functions completely um, as its own facility. And it means that we can bring in outside pigs from whatever genetics we want 
let them through the isolation procedures and allow them to enter the barn. And this is a very significant deviation from our previous facility that was completely closed. The old barn was all populated with cesarean section piglets. And after that, no pigs ever entered that barn again. And so we were like very restricted or constrained on the genetics that we could have in that facility, unless we bred our, we changed our own breeding program over years. Um, So in this case, I'm kind of, well, no, I'm really excited because in the long term, I could do um, genetics and nutrition interaction type studies. Uh, And I think that's an area that would be very beneficial to the industry as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very, very common question, isn't it, Leanne, when we're talking to producers? Well, that was uh, that study was done on this genetics, but what about this genetics? And that's right. And I know Case was really, really good at bringing things back to a common denominator, i.e. protein deposition rate or whatever. But we don't have, I don't think, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we have any actual data that says that different genetic lines utilize energy more or less efficiently than others, amino acids more or less efficiently than others. Um, I mean, we hardly have those data for any pigs at all in some cases. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. Leanne, I'm afraid time has moved on with us. This is fascinating. This is just a tremendous facility. I'm really disappointed. Uh, I was in China when you had your open house, so I didn't get to see it. And, uh, but it really, I did drive around it one time when I drove there before you had populated, of course. And, um, and I was really impressed from just the size and scale of the whole thing. You've got a tremendous facility. You've got great faculty at Guelph now. Um, I think we can expect some great things coming out of this new facility. Oh, that's the hope I'm sure. But anytime come visit, I'll take you through myself. Well, appreciate that, uh, Leanne, I really do. It's time for our famous three. Now we, we wrap up with the three questions. And the first question, Leanne, is uh, can you recommend a swine resource, a book or a, a website or some source database that you use that you find particularly helpful um, as a swine resource? Yeah, I'm pretty lame in this answer, but for me, it's the NRC. Um, And I still say the new NRC because it was new when I started my PhD (laughs) program. (laughs) Um, But it's my it's my go to for the, you know, fundamentals. And and now that we have the new NRC, the actual new NRC committee put together, um, we can look forward, I think, to a really good resource coming up. Yes, absolutely. Um, And. other favorite book or resource that's just wide open that can be fiction, nonfiction, a book you've read that you really enjoyed. Yep. So right now I have a three-year-old. So right now I read a lot of parenting books <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> for better, or for worse. I don't know, but um, yeah, I find it quite fascinating that different people have very different philosophies mm-hmm. on raising children. So yeah. it's, it's good to kind of explore those. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And very uh, time appropriate for you and your family. And then the final question, Leanne, is in your opinion, 
if you look at some of the leaders in our industry or our discipline, what sets them apart from the crowd? What makes them so successful? Yeah, from my perspective, I would say an openness, openness to learning and having their ideas mm-hmm. challenged and the willingness to think about things in a different way. And perhaps that's a very academic <laughs> viewpoint for me. Yeah. Um, but considering what I see, you know, people and kids going through these days, I think the other part of that puzzle is resilience. So being able to overcome those setbacks and grow and learn from them. If you can do that and you have an openness to learn, I think there's no end to your potential. Yeah, boy, you know, nobody has brought that up uh, before, Leanne, the resilience. And I think that's a very, very good point because we all hit speed bumps in life. We all hit forks in the road. We all encounter things that we didn't anticipate. And uh, and being able to to deal with those and move forward is is really important. That's a great suggestion. <laughs> so thank thank you very much, uh, Dr. Leanne Huber from the University of Guelph. Uh, we've had an opportunity to talk about the new facilities at Guelph and uh, just a tremendous new addition to the research capability for the pig industry in Canada. So Leanne, thank you so very much. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.